Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, this is a prepaid call from Kimberly Boone, an inmate at a Florida Department of Corrections institution. Testimony is underway in the trial of a woman accused of trying to kill her husband twice. I still had this gun on me and I shot at him. It was it was actually my husband that was there. I didn't realize it was him. The insurance paid off on it. And I find it stunning that they even attempt to go back and file an attempted murder charge on it. Their theory was that I wanted my husband's life insurance money. Prosecutors say Kimberly Boone's motive was murder that she needed to collect on her husband's life insurance policy to help repay a $700,000 embezzlement debt to her former employer. Hello and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. And this is part three of my chat with Kimberly Boone, the mother of two convicted for arson and second-degree premeditated attempted murder of her husband, a crime she's always maintained she's innocent of. As always, if you've not yet listened to the previous episodes, then it's time to hit pause and head on back to catch up. So in the previous episode, we heard that Kim had been sitting in jail for 17 months before she was eventually sent to trial for the first attempted murder case. In that trial, she was accused of shooting her husband intentionally, trying to kill him to collect on his life insurance to repay a debt of three quarters of a million dollars to her former employer. She'd also been charged for arson and another count of premeditated attempted murder from a fire from four months previous. With all of this... Kim was found not guilty by the jury. But instead of being set free, she was sent back to prison for another two and a half years before she would go to trial again. Today, we're going to look at that trial and we're going to look at some of the state's witnesses and some expert testimony. So whenever a trial begins, it always starts with the prosecutor's opening statements, painting a picture for the jury of why they're there and the case that they are bringing against the defendant. In this case, Kimberly Boone. Here's Kim to tell us how it played out. Okay, um, it opened up with the state's theory. The state spun a theory for the jury that I had um, wanted to collect on my husband's life insurance money. So I came up with this plan that I crushed up Xanax, put it in my husband's water, had him drink it, waited till he fell asleep, um, set the house on fire, they don't know how, and then walked out the door, you know, nonchalantly. And that was just their whole their whole theory. The problem was, you know, they then they tried to look for evidence to support their theory. Um, the thing is I had I had a few people testify for the state, but there was no one um, except 
uh, an ex that had anything bad to say about me. Even my husband, when he testified, had nothing personally bad to say about me. He just accounted the events of that day that he could recall. I'm going to jump in here quickly because we will discuss Kim's ex-partner in further detail soon, as it's also a very interesting story, as the state would suggest that this wasn't the first time Kim had attempted to do this. What I find interesting there is you say that they, this is their theory and then they looked for evidence for that theory. Surely you find evidence and then build a theory around the evidence. Well, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to also be innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. The problem is, you know, when you go to trial, the state opens for the jury and they lay out this theory for them. So it already taints the view in their minds of your guilt. And then they also get to close the, the trial they get to make the closing statement. So that's what it, it opens with, and that's what the jurists are left with, the last word. So it, it's supposed to be that you look through, at the evidence, and if they had, and actually in this case, they looked at the evidence. When I first had the fire, I had two independent, I had an independent fire marshal and one for the state of Florida that looked through the evidence. You know, they, um, they determined that the fire was accidental in nature. They didn't exactly know what caused it, but they thought it was electrical from a laptop, and they closed the case, and they paid out our claims. There was nothing There was nothing that would suggest that there was any type of arson. There were no accelerant um, items that would normally have been taken out of the home. This is, this is straight from the fire marshal. He said normally elements that would have been taken out of the home, like uh, pictures on the walls, computers, big screen TVs. My kids had trophies for um, karate. None of those items had been removed. And he said, typically, when someone wants to set something on fire, they remove personal things that they can't replace. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And none of that was done. So I want to focus on this for a bit, as in my opinion, this is pretty huge. Now, the only real evidence for this particular case is the testimony from the fire marshals. Here's Kim to explain what they came up with. Sure. Um, I had two fire marshals in my case. The first was one that worked for the state fire marshal's office in Florida, and the other one worked for Diversified Investigations. His name was Mike O'Dowd, and he, State Farm contracted with them, State Farm Insurance, because the first thing that they want to do is when there's a fire, is they want to determine, you know, whether it's arson or not arson. Mm. And then once they determine that it's not arson, then they'll look for uh, some type of equipment or something that may have malfunctioned so they can, you know, charge it back to the company with the faulty equipment. So... I had both fire marshals, um, you know, come out to the house. They they investigated it, and they couldn't exactly find a source of the fire. They knew that it had started on the nightstand in the bedroom, and they thought that it had come from the laptop. But the, the one gentleman told me that sometimes they never find the actual cause of the fire, but they knew that there were no accelerants, you know, and it didn't look like there was any type of, of arson. So the fire, the state fire marshal closed the investigation, you know, saying it was an accidental fire, electrical in nature. State Farm, you know, got their report from Diversified Investigations and they paid out the claim to us. So not one, but two independent fire marshals that attended the home to try and find a cause determined the fire to be accidental in nature, potentially electrical. However, they could not find a cause. So both these fire marshals have said the same. That is, apparently, until one of them receives a call from detectives. So on the stand, both of these fire marshals, one you know, one was for the state, the state fire marshal testified for the state, um, 
And he stated also, though, that he, after he got the call from detectives about the shooting, he went in and he changed his ruling from accidental fire to suspicious fire um, after what the detectives had told him. But he testified that there was absolutely no way that he could have gone back and looked through any type of evidence to make that determination. Yes, you heard that correct. After a call from detectives, one of these fire marshals changed his ruling from accidental to suspicious. A fact that I'll be honest blew my mind when I was talking to Kim. The the fire, you know, the investigation was closed. They paid out the claims and there was nothing left to investigate because we were already in the process of rebuilding, having the house rebuilt at that time. So there was nothing for them to go investigate. They had already done it, but he changed it solely on the call from detectives that stated that Rob had been shot and that I may have owed a lot of money. And so he changed it to suspicious. That's I'm so, that's blown my mind. So, but he and so he's admitting that that he ruled it an accident. But then after a phone call from detectives, yeah. he went back and changed his ruling just because purely of what they said. And he went, oh well, I'll go. It's just, how can he do that? I don't know, but he did it. Um, and he admitted to doing he it. Also, though, <laughs> he admitted to do it. He did testify on the stand, though, that when he did his investigation, nothing looked. That's when he, you know. Uh, I had told you earlier about the things that would have normally been missing. They weren't, they were not missing. You know, my kids did modeling. I had big modeling pictures on the wall, their trophies. So he said it did not look like a typical arson. Um, yet he still, you know, testified for the state. But even on the stand, he said he could not say, they said what started the fire. Um, he said he does not know. That was his exact wording on the stand was, I, I don't know what started it. And so, you know, my attorney is basically saying, how can you say that that it was arson now? You know, you just changed it from accidental to arson based on someone's word. How can you say that? And so you know, he really didn't have a definitive answer for that. Now, I need to state again, I'm not here to try and prove Kim guilty or innocent. However, I'm not sure how a fire marshal can change a ruling on a fire from accidental to suspicious purely based off a phone call from detectives. Don't believe me this happened? Here it is, covered in the evening news. Fire investigators testified they first called the fire accidental, then changed their mind. The cause of the fire now switched from accidental to an incendiary fire. He never said in detail about why his technical opinion changed. So you've got not one, but two fire marshals saying that there was no way of telling if this was arson or not. They both, in fact, at the very start of this whole thing, they both ruled it an accidental fire. Um, and even on the stand, the state's fire marshal on the stand said there's no way of showing if this was arson or not. Uh, in fact, I changed my statement from accidental to, to arson after I got a phone call from detectives about the shooting. Yes, he said he based it solely on the phone call and that it made it suspicious because I was being um, charged with this other crime. So so he, did he say this on the stand of, your, of the fire trial or the, of the shooting trial? fire trial. But what's confusing me is surely he's not allowed to bring up, we're not supposed to be talking about the shooting case in this trial. He didn't bring it up. Um, He just said he got a phone call. I think the way he said it was he got a phone call 
um, to reopen the case, I think is the way he stated. He did not come out and say, you know, because she's charged with this. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to look at one of the state's final witnesses, a man that Kimberly has briefly mentioned as the only person to say anything bad about her on the stand, her ex-husband. I had a few people testify for the state, but there was no one um, except uh, an ex that had anything bad to say about Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Now it is that moment in time again where I give many, 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 many thanks to you for listening to this show. And I set you your weekly task. I've been really enjoying uh, all the questions and theories people have been posing to me online. In fact, so much that I have decided to set up a Facebook group for everyone to jump into so we can all chat about the cases in the show. So it's open to everyone. If you'd like to join, you can just search one minute remaining on Facebook or you can also follow the link in the show notes below. I'll be checking the page regularly, so if you've got any questions, then jump on and start the conversation. And your mission this week? Well, look, I'm getting greedy. It's no longer to tell one person. I want you to tell two people. I know, I'm pushing my luck. Tell two people about one minute remaining this week. Whoever they are, yell it from your car window. Maybe talk to someone awkwardly on the bus or the train. Maybe share an earpod with them. 
if you like, if they look clean. Essentially, just share the message of the show. One minute remaining. Anyway, let's get back to more important things. We're actually going to take a look right now, one of the state's final witnesses in this trial. Now, before you start to panic, thinking I've skipped right to the end and missed out on talking about Kim's ex-husband, we will talk about him and his testimony extensively in a coming episode. But right now, before that, I want to talk about Kim's previous husband. In fact, just to show how publicised this trial was, even the fact that her previous husband was delayed in testifying made the news. Also late breaking this noon, a surprise delay in an attempted murder trial. Kimberly Boone's accused of trying to burn down the family home with her husband inside after the state claims she drugged him. Her previous husband was supposed to testify against her today, but there was a delay. Dave McDaniel has the story. Well, basically, Kimberly Boone was married to someone else back in 1993. At their home in Maryland, a kerosene can with a rag stuffed in it was found smoldering in their basement. The state wanted him to testify this morning about that incident to point out similarities between the cases, but he didn't make his flight. But eventually, he did make it, and he took the stand against his ex-wife. Let's talk about your ex-husband who turned up at trial. Did you know that was going to happen? Okay, here's what happened is the state had him on their witness list. And I know that he was depositioned, which I'll go into that in a minute. But I was supposed to go to trial in January of 2011. And he was not on the witness list to participate uh, in that trial. They have, to, they have to submit it to the court 10 days before trial, the list of the people that were going to testify. Uh, my trial got bumped for another one. And so when they had my trial in October, he was on the list. Uh, what I, what we really thought, because he had, what he had to offer was all made up. Um, and so we really thought that they would strike his testimony and not allow it to be entered because it violated, you know, so many of the statutes for the state that, you know, it should just never have been allowed. I hadn't seen Dennis in 16 years. And in his deposition, he said that the detectives contacted him on April 1st. And, you know, here we call that April Fool's Day. That's when we play jokes on everybody. Yeah, we got the same. And he said that when they, the detectives left the message that I had been arrested for attempted murder for Rob. And he said he thought it was a joke, that he didn't believe it. So I guess the detectives continued to, you know, say, come on, Dennis, isn't there anything you can tell us? Isn't there anything you can tell us? And so... He finally said, well, you know what? I think that she may have tried to kill me, too, back in 1993. And you have to realize that was 18 years prior. I was asleep, and it was the smell that woke me up. A previous husband of Kimberly Boone recalled a night in Maryland 18 years ago when smoke filled their home. Well, we had a, we had a history. When I, when I left Dennis, uh, we, this supposed incident happened in 1993, but we stayed married for several more years after that. And in 1995, he, uh, he was a home builder and, you know, he had a business, uh, it was pretty, a pretty decent sized business and he framed out houses. So. Now I am going to have to jump in here. What Kim tells me next is something that I'm going to have to remove from the episode at this stage. Because at the moment, 
I'm unable to substantiate what Kim tells me. However, I am in the process of doing some investigation and getting some answers on this matter. Now, if I get those answers, I will then be able to bring you what Kim says happened. What I will tell you is that Kim tells me something did happen between her and her husband. This was a one-off incident, but it was an incident that Kim says saw her ex-husband getting into trouble with law enforcement. It ended up in a court case, which she says saw him getting community service. Now, the only reason that I'm even mentioning this is because it is important. Because Kim says the relationship ended on bad terms. And she tells me that her ex-husband never forgave her. But we never got back together after that. And um, at that time, and I bring this up because this supposed killing, you know, that this trying to kill him supposedly happened in 1993, but through all the court proceedings that we were going through in 95, he never once mentioned that or brought it up. Now we're fast forwarding 16 years later and he's saying, oh, I have something to add. Well, you know, honestly, sometimes people can break up and they're fine, but he really, he really hated me because he had this business in the community and he was embarrassed when he was arrested um, and just really, he just really never forgave me or we, we just never were able to even speak again after that. So, you know, we just kind of went our separate ways. So Kim says there are many reasons why this testimony from her ex-husband should not have been allowed in court, not just because she says he's making the entire thing up, but also because of something called William's Rule. Here's Kim to explain. Do you know what William's Rule evidence is? Uh, I don't. Okay. Um, William's Rule evidence is bef- means before evidence of a collateral offense can be admitted into trial, which, you know, the same type of offense, there has to be clear and convincing evidence that the former offense was actually committed and that the defendant was the one who actually committed it. So really what they needed to do was to have proof that there was a crime that occurred and then they had to have proof that I committed it before they would allow this testimony in. If not, it's hearsay. So essentially, someone can't just get up on the stand during a trial and say, oh, well, this person tried to do a similar thing to me in the past. There must be some form of proof of a crime. And in this case, Kim is saying that there isn't. Her ex-husband never filed a complaint. He never told anyone about it. And in fact, they remained married for a further five years after this alleged incident. This incident only came to light 18 years later. So they allowed Dennis to get on the stand and state that back in 93, we were having problems that he said he woke up one night to a strange smell. He said there was no smoke and there was no fire, but that there was a smell. And he said he went to the basement and he saw a can of kerosene with like a rag stuffed in it and that it was smoldering. Very strong. I could, something was burning. It was strong. I couldn't... You know, I don't think I'd I'd have a hard time explaining. He said Kimberly was sitting on a couch in their living room in her robe. He sprinted downstairs and saw a smoldering rag in the mouth of a kerosene can. There was rag stuff in the can, and it was smoking, but it wasn't flaming. But the rag was, I'll I'll never forget this, the rag was glowing red like it was 
you know, burning, you know, from the outside of edges of the rag. And so he said he just pulled the, the rag out and set the kerosene can outside. And his testimony said he came upstairs and said, you did this. And that was the end of the incident. Um, that None of that ever happened. And so I don't know where he came up with this, this crazy theory at. Kim's ex-husband would then testify that after he'd put this rag out, he then went back upstairs where Kim was apparently sitting in her robe on the sofa. Now, obviously, I've never tried to kill anyone, nor would I. But I think if you were going to try and kill someone by burning a house down, it seems a little odd, to say the least, that you would remain in the house, sitting on a lounge, in your robe. Now, Kim never actually got the chance to refute these claims from her ex-husband. He was able to tell this story, and that was it. So, in the spirit of this particular podcast and allowing inmates to tell their stories, here is Kim's side of that story. What really happened, I'll tell you exactly what really happened. There was some, there was an incident, but, you know, we had um, two kids that were upstairs and we had a, he, he was a home builder. He never, ever stored flammable liquids in the house. Say he had cans of kerosene in the basement is kind of ludicrous, but he stored them all outside in a shed because, you know, obviously that would be very dangerous to do. But we had a regular floor model Coleman kerosene heater and the kids had some kind of a, like a tractor, one of those that you pedal. Um, and what it appeared was that when they were playing downstairs, they bumped it and it turned it on. Now, Dennis was a home builder, so he had, you know, rags and things sitting on the shelf down there. What really happened is when he went down there, one of the rags had flopped from, the, it was partially on the shelf and partially on the top of that Coleman heater. So it was warm enough, and he had, like, chemicals where he refinished wood on it. It was warm enough to emit a smell, but there wasn't anything that was glowing. There were no embers. There was no fire. There was nothing, and it was, you could tell it had just fallen over on the top of his heater, and that was it. That, that was the whole extent of the incident. Um, so- the reason I couldn't explain that was because my attorney had asked me not to take the stand, so I couldn't, I couldn't refute any of these allegations against him. Of course, I've got to reiterate the fact that this is Kim's version of events and we've got no way to prove that what she's saying is in fact the truth. I mean, without evidence, what she could be telling me is all fabricated. See what I'm doing here? Much like Kim having no evidence to back up her version of events, neither, does she say, did her husband, which is why she's saying it should never have been allowed to be presented in court. So did your attorney not not say to you, okay, you tell me what happened so that I can cross-examine this guy? My attorney, I feel like he... Okay, when when somebody is presenting Williams Rule evidence, it's not supposed to become a feature of the case. It has to be minimal as to not prejudice a person. It has to be very probative, probative, which means it has to be used to prove something in trial. And what they were trying to prove was modus operandi that... You know, she likes to start fires and, and mm. try to kill people. And but it was so it was so dissimilar that that was at night. The house fire, my real house fire, was during the day. Um, that when I was home, the, the one with Rob, I wasn't even home. Um, one was a fire, and one was just like a 
it was just like a, you know, that little rag that was on that. But, um, mm. you know, I wanted to say, too, that it was so insignificant in nature that the children were not woken up. You know, no fire department was called. No police department was called. There was no insurance claim to be made because there was nothing wrong. He never told a soul. He never told his mom, his best friend, nobody. It just suddenly became an incident 18 years later when the when the detectives were trying to, you know, force him into thinking, are you sure there wasn't any type of incident that, you know, that we could use against her pretty much? Yeah, I mean, when they first called him, you'd think that would be the top of mind thing. If you if he thought you tried to kill him before, he'd go, actually, you know what, straight away, not go, oh, nothing real I can think about. Oh, wait, no, wait, hold on a second, I think she right. tried to kill me. Right, and then like I said, in 95, when, when I had you arrested, don't you think that there would have been some type of a, well, hey, she's tried to kill me, you know, yeah. two years ago, but there was nothing, there was never, it wasn't a thing, it wasn't an incident, it was just, you know, it was really an insignificant thing that was not even on anybody's minds for all those years. Yeah. Well, so, okay, so it's fair to say that that's obviously tainted you already with um, the jury, that that particular, um, co- those comments from your ex-husband. Yeah, they were very, they were very prejudicial. And the thing is, the law, the law states that um, they really needed to prove that there was a crime. You can't prove that there was a crime, much less that I committed it. They allowed him to to say things about me in trial that could not ever have been proven. There was no, there was not a report of anything, you know. And for it to be allowed as Williams' rule evidence, it should have been. They should, like I said, they have to show that a, a crime was committed. And it has to be very clear and convincing to a jurist that I was the one that committed the crime. So, obviously, you talk about this Williams rule. I mean, surely your your lawyer at the time should know about this stuff and should be saying to the court, hold on a second, Williams rule, this has not been proven, this is hearsay, um, there was, there's no reports of this anywhere. Um, this can't be allowed. Did he not try and? Well, did he? What did he say to, to your ex-husband in his um, in his cross-examination? Well, he tried to. He basically, I thought the way he cross the way he examined him, it kind of actually led credence to what he was saying because instead of just saying, Dennis, there's absolutely no proof of this. You never brought this up in 18 years, and all, now all of a sudden, you think of a, a an incident. Not once you brought it up, but he didn't do that. He basically tried to explain why a, a rag might be smoldering. You know, he, he went off on this whole tangent about this stuff called linseed oil that builders use to refinish, you know, um, wood and things like that. And I just, I basically said to him, he's trying to explain why it happened instead of saying, look, there's no proof that it ever did. So that, I felt like that was the mistake that the attorney made. Let's also not forget that this was one of the state's final witnesses. So one of the final stories that the jury hears was how, according to Kim's ex-husband, he's pretty sure she tried to burn their house down with him in it before. Not a great final impression. You have one minute remaining. And funnily enough, that's what I've called my show. I don't know if you guys know, but I've called the show One Minute Remaining. Oh, uh, you have? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That wraps up things for this week. But coming up next week, it's one of the biggest question marks hanging over this case. The relationship between Kim and her husband, the man she says 
was her best friend, the man she says she never fought with, but the man who never came to her defence when she was accused of his attempted murder, not once, but twice. I was feeling a little bit groggy, had a headache, a little bit disoriented. Um, headache got worse, almost like I had a stroke. And after watching the cross-examination between Kim's lawyer and her husband, I had to ask Kim a very difficult question. So, um, okay, Kim, this might be a hard question to answer, but do you think that your husband could have had something to do with this? Uh. Next time on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mash Pumpkin production. Hosted and produced by Jack Lawrence. Editing and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans. This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.